Let's open the Scriptures this afternoon to the letter of Paul to the Ephesians, Ephesians 3, where the Apostle teaches us about prayer. In fact, he, he even writes a prayer. He offers a prayer in the letter itself. So we'll take a look at that. Page 1242 in the Pew Bible, Ephesians chapter 3. This is the Word of the Lord, chapter 3. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he was, has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. And here comes his prayer. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I invite you to turn with me to the Belgic Confession, Article 26 page 509 in our book of praise. In the Catechism preaching, we come to the article about Christ's intercession or the whole subject matter of prayer. We confess the following. We believe that we have no access to God except through the only mediator and advocate Jesus Christ the righteous. For this purpose he became man, uniting together the divine and human nature, 
that we might not be barred from, but have access to the divine majesty. This mediator, however, whom the Father has ordained between himself and us, should not frighten us by his greatness, so that we look for another according to our fancy. There is no creature in heaven or on earth who loves us more than Jesus Christ. Though he was in the form of God, he emptied himself, taking the form of man and of a servant for us, and was made like his brothers in every respect. If, therefore, we had to look for another intercessor, could we find one who loves us more than he who laid down his life for us, even while we were his enemies? If we had to look for one who has authority and power, who has more than he who is seated at the right hand of the Father and who has all authority in heaven and on earth? Moreover, who will be heard more readily than God's own well-beloved Son? Therefore, it was pure lack of trust which introduced the custom of dishonoring the saints rather than honoring them, doing what they themselves never did nor required. On the contrary, they constantly rejected such honor according to their duty as appears from their writings. Here, one ought not to bring in our unworthiness, for it is not a question of offering our prayers on the basis of our own worthiness but only on the basis of the excellence and worthiness of Jesus Christ, whose righteousness is ours by faith. Therefore, to take away from us this foolish fear, or rather distrust, the author of Hebrews, with good reason, says to us that Jesus Christ was made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Further, to encourage us more to go to him, he says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The same letter says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Also, he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. What more is needed? Christ himself says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Why should we look for another advocate? It has pleased God to give us His Son as our advocate. Let us then not leave Him for another, or even look for another, without ever finding one. For when God gave Him to us, He knew very well that we were sinners. In conclusion, according to the command of Christ, we call upon the Heavenly Father through Christ, our only mediator, as we are taught in the Lord's Prayer. 
we rest assured that we shall obtain all we ask of the Father in His name. That's our confession in Article 26. Brothers and sisters, saints of God and our Lord Jesus Christ, last time in Article 25, we dealt with the subject of God's law and how God's law relates to Christ. The ceremonial law, we saw, teaches us to know Christ. That's all those shadows and ceremonies. And then the moral law, captured in the Ten Commandments, summarized in the Ten Commandments, the moral law shows us how to follow Christ, how to walk in His footsteps. And right on the heels of this confession about the law comes Article 26, bringing in the matter of prayer. And you'll recognize it's the same um, order as we find in the Heidelberg Catechism. First, the Heidelberg Catechism explains the Ten Commandments in Lord's Days 34 through 44, and then it talks about prayer. Prayer is necessary if we are ever to hope to obey the commandments. As the Heidelberg Catechism puts it, prayer is the most important part of our thankfulness to God. For in prayer, we, we voice our thankfulness directly to God, and in prayer, we ask God to help us fight against sin and produce a life of thankfulness. You simply can't be a Christian without prayer. But how does prayer work? What confidence do I have that my words spoken in prayer here on earth are actually heard in heaven. Why should the Creator of heaven and earth listen to a little guy like me, to a, a being who has so many sins and who fails to love God like he ought? And if the Lord is listening, does He really want to hear about my little concerns? By comparison, my struggles, my sorrows, I mean, why would the Creator care about me? Why would He take time to answer my requests? There's seven billion other people in the world. At least one billion of those confess the name of Christ, and a lot of those folks have a lot bigger problems than I do. Will the Lord really listen to me? Is He really concerned about your individual life, my individual life? Well, we hope to find out as we hear this word under this theme, this word of the Lord, Christians approach the Father through Christ alone. We approach the Father through Christ alone. We see that we have an open door as well as an open ear and an open hand. Well, we certainly aren't the first to struggle with rightly understanding prayer, for in the time of the Reformation, when the Belgic Confession was written, it was a massive issue as well. You can tell it was a big issue because of the length of the article. It's one of the longest articles in the entire Belgic. It's one of the most carefully explained points of doctrine. And why is that? Well, it's because for centuries before 
the Belgian Confession was written, the Roman church had been teaching its people to pray to the saints. That's really the background to this article. It was a, a huge practice in the Roman church then, and it remains a huge practice today. The Pope still makes international news when he recognizes and canonizes new saints. You might know that the Roman church teaches that certain particular believers of the past, and they're always of the past, special believers who led an exemplary life on earth, that those persons, after they die, they, they have a special standing in the church. You might recall how Rome teaches that good works have a certain amount of merit before God. Well, they say these particular believers, they did so many good works and of such a high quality that they have many more works than they need for themselves. That gained them a good standing with God, and it gives them a good influence uh, with God on our behalf. These kinds of believers then, they, they're regarded as holier than the rest. They're more sincere than the rest. They're more faithful than others. They were known to be this way in this life, and then at some point after their death, on the official declaration of the Roman church, these special believers, they are labeled as saints. I put it between quotation marks because the Bible calls every Christian a saint, but Rome calls only the super-believers saints. That's why I addressed you at the beginning of this ser uh, sermon as saints of God in the Lord Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 2. You're all saints. Rome goes on with its teaching. These believers, they had, because they had these extra good deeds, and because they can relate to the rest of us in a way that Jesus, they say, cannot relate because these people were ordinary people. They were not sinless. They were not God like Jesus is. The Roman church urges its members to pray to these saints. Now, to be clear, Rome does not teach its people not to pray to Christ, but just like when it comes to the matter of true faith, they, they add something. Remember with true faith, they, they say, you've got to believe in Jesus, but you also have to add good works. Jesus plus good works. Well, here too, pray to Jesus, that's fine, but pray also to the saints, and they encourage that. The saints then pay, pray directly to God for you. And over the centuries, Rome has highly organized this um, prayer to the saints. They, they, they've developed a saint. They've designated a saint for every area of life. So if you're traveling, well, you pray to St. Christopher. He's the patron saint of travel. If you're sick, pray to St. Luke, the doctor. If you are a teacher, pray to St. Cassianus. If you are a hunter, pray to St. Hubert for success in your hunt. And if you don't know which saint to pray for, pray to Mother Mary, the greatest of them all. Because as mother of Jesus, she will certainly hear your prayers. This is the teaching of Rome. But all of this, brothers and sisters, is the invention of a church which has lost its way, which has long ago stopped listening to the Scriptures because none of this, as the Belgic points out, is actually found in the Bible. 
The Bible is itself abundantly clear. Pray, who do you pray to? You pray to God and God alone. And God says clearly in His Scriptures, you may pray to me, you may come to me directly. You don't need to come via the back door through the saints. You can come to me directly. Why? Because I've opened the way directly in my Son, Jesus. That's the core issue which the Belgic addresses in the opening sentence. We believe that we have no access to God except through the only mediator and advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. Only one access, that's through Christ. The Belgic is echoing Ephesians 3, which we read. Paul says there, verse 12, in whom, and he's referring to Christ Jesus, in Christ we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. We've got boldness and we've got access in Christ. Access to whom? To the Father. Our access to the Father is only through the Lord. The Roman church somehow got around to thinking that they required a mediator besides Jesus to approach God on our behalf. Now, we can single out Rome and describe why their theology is bad, but maybe we should look at ourselves for a moment. Do we have a problem that's similar to Rome? We just don't, we don't pray to saints. Their problem is that they don't see Jesus as being quite enough, sufficient, and so they appeal also to the saints. Do we sometimes have the same issue? Do we sometimes have the same way of thinking when we doubt if God will hear us pray after we've fallen into sin for the umpteenth time? You ever have that when you fall into a particular sin that you've fallen into before and you get so down on yourself, you become angry with yourself, discouraged and frustrated with yourself that you can't even bring yourself to pray. You ever have that? I can't go back to God. I just did the same thing that I asked for forgiveness for last night. I did it again today. Why don't we go back to the Lord? Why, what makes us hesitate? Is it not the fear that He will reject us that he'll say, you've passed your limit. Do we not in a moment like that feel like, like we have no worth? We've got nothing to offer him. Why would he listen to me? Look, I have just messed up things. I can't even count how many times. We pray certainly only in the name of Jesus, but do not our hesitations and fears betray that part of us is thinking that Jesus isn't quite enough. Part of us is thinking God will only hear us if we've actually made some progress in the fight against sin. That God will only hear us if we've been sufficiently good. God will only hear us when our deeds are acceptable enough to Him. Well, brothers and sisters, it does not work like that. That is not grace. 
Article 26 quotes at length from the book of Hebrews, which tells us, among other things, that Christ is our great high priest. That's a connection back to Article 25. We saw that last week in this ceremonial law. We saw it this morning with the Feast of Booths. Jesus is the fulfillment of that law. Jesus, says Hebrews, is not another priest in a long line of priests. He has come as the final priest to bring the final sacrifice that puts an end to the need for shadows. Article 26 quotes Hebrews 2 to show that this high priest made atonement for the sins of the people. He laid himself down on the bronze altar of the cross. He spilled his own precious blood for us. That blood, says Hebrews, has been taken above into the Holy of Holies, into the very dwelling place of God. It's presented to the Father as payment for our sins. Hebrews 10 is quoted then to say that we Christians may now have confidence to enter the most holy place, God's presence, by way of the blood of Jesus. That's the reason. And that is the only reason, beloved, that we can go to God in prayer. There's not one iota of our works involved in that formula. It's the blood of Christ or nothing. Our attempts at sanctification are not part of that formula. The reason God accepts us is Christ alone, and it's the best reason because the work of Christ is a historical fact which cannot be erased, it cannot be altered, it cannot be undone. Think of what happened to the curtain in the temple the moment that Christ died. Do you remember that big thick curtain that separated off the Holy of Holies, what happened? Jesus died. It ripped from top to bottom. That was God ripping the curtain. What did it mean? No more barrier to the presence of God. Don't stitch it up, priests. Don't you dare replace it because the doorway to my throne room is open and it has to stay open. For all who approach me through faith in Christ, who just died for sins and sinners, the door into God's throne room, it stands forever in the open position. Don't put up another curtain. Brothers and sisters, you and I, we have to remind ourselves of this, we are and always will be till the day we die totally unworthy to come to the holy God in our own merit even on our best day, with our best deeds laid out, we remain unworthy to walk into God's presence. Why? Because even our best deeds have sin in them. You can't go into the holy of holies with sin. But here's the gospel, the good news. God covers that sin when we approach through Christ, by faith in Christ. The blood of Jesus, in God's eyes, covers our sin. The sin is paid for. The guilt is removed. So long as we are trusting in Christ. So the Father has His eye on His Son, in whom we trust. And for His Son's sake, when we come to Him in Jesus' name, He regards us sinners as if we are as white as snow. 
So no amount of filth, no amount of shame, no amount of multiple transgressions, no amount of failure to live the sanctified life can keep us from accessing our Father so long as we are clinging to our Father in true faith. In Jesus Christ, you and I might sin countless times, the very same sin, and it's devastating to us, and it should fill us with, with a sense of shame, and it should drive us to our knees, but hear this, every time if you come with a broken heart to your Father in the name of Jesus Christ, then every single time you find an open door, and not just an open door to heaven, but you find a listening ear, a listening ear. Article 26 goes on to tell us that Christ does even more than give us access to the Father. It describes Christ as our mediator. It uses another word, advocate, and another one, intercessor. These are words we find in the Bible. That comes out clearly when the confession quotes from Hebrews 7. That's speaking of Christ. He holds His priesthood permanently because He continues forever. Consequently, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus, our high priest, always lives to make intercession for us. What does that mean? To make intercession, or simply to intercede, is to speak to God on behalf of someone else. That's what an a job of an advocate as well, advocate, intercessor, very similar terms. An advocate or an intercessor, you could say he goes to bat for the person that needs help, speaks up. An advocate speaks up for someone who cannot speak for himself. So the picture we get in Hebrews 7 is this. When we, in prayer, approach the Father through faith in the Lord Jesus, then Christ is with us in those prayers. He is, so to speak, right beside us. He hears our concerns. He understands our needs. And He joins His voice to our voice. And He adds His voice to our pleading so that the Father hears Christ alongside of us. Jesus prays. For us. Here again we see the Lord Jesus fulfilling the law of Moses. The priests of old, you remember in the days of the Old Testament, they would go into the tabernacle, later the temple, and they would pray. We talked about that in Psalm 141 a couple of weeks ago. Right at the time of the incense offering, they would pray for the people. They would intercede for the congregation, just like what we still do Sunday mornings. We have an intercessory prayer following the sermon. We'll do that again following this sermon. The priests would do that too, but the thing is, those priests going into the tabernacle, at a certain moment, they had to come out of the tabernacle. Those priests could not stand there day and night busy in prayer for the people. That was just humanly impossible. 
But Hebrews is saying, that's exactly what Jesus does. It's not impossible for him. He ascended to heaven. He lives eternally. Hebrews stresses, Christ has entered into the actual, genuine throne room of God. Remember, the tabernacle is just a copy. He's presented his blood in the great holy of holies above. Jesus lives there. He, he breathes forever. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. And in that eternal situation of being awake and alert, he's able and he's willing to be busy in prayer for every single one of the sheep he died for. That's why we call him the great high priest. Who on earth could even come faintly close to that? As high priest on earth, he sacrificed for us once for all, and now as ascended Lord and priest, He continually intercedes. He advocates for you and for me and for all God's people so that the blessings from the Father might never stop flowing to us. That's what He's doing. And the Belgic makes a couple of points about the, the character of this mediator, this high priest. First point it makes is how great He loves us, how much He loves us. The Belgic asks that if we had to look for another intercessor, if we had to find somebody else, could we find somebody who loves us more than Jesus does? Could we find somebody who laid down his life for people who were his enemies? Which is what Jesus did. Paul prays about this in Ephesians 3, which we read. That's that prayer portion of the chapter. For this reason I bow my knee before the Father, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. What does he want? What's he praying for? Paul is praying that the, the people would come to know the love of Christ. Now listen to this, okay? He says, I pray that you, you Christians, being rooted and grounded in love, that you may have the strength to comprehend. So he's really building up to something, that you would actually have the strength, the ability to understand. Understand what? What is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth? And to know, here comes, the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. We need strength to understand that. We need divine strength to, to start to get a handle on just how much Christ loves us. We should ask ourselves that question once in a while. How much does Jesus love me? How great is the love of Christ for you and me and all His people? How can you describe, like how would you define its limits, its height, its depth? How far will Jesus go for the likes of you and me? Well, how far? The cross tells us how far. He gave up His life Suffering, torture, pain, rejection by men, rejection by his Father, an eternity of wrath weighted down upon him. He did that for us during a time when we were, says the Bible, Romans 5, we were his enemies. We talked this morning about the world hating Jesus. Well, we were the world when Jesus died for us. He, we were in the business of hating him. 
and he gave his life for us anyway. How do you measure that kind of love? And now that he has actually done that work and regenerated us by his Spirit and, and made us his friends, John 15, you are my friends, if you believe in me and do as I command, will he not now speak up to the Father for us? He's not going to leave us alone, right? That's, that's the point that our Belgic Confession makes, that Hebrews makes. He's going to continue his work. The intercessory work is, isn't harder than what he did on earth. It's immensely important, and it's beautiful. He's going to continue advocating for you and me. So our, our high priest has this love which is unfathomable to our minds. And then he's also got something else the Belgic wants to highlight. He gets us. Like our high priest has walked in our shoes. He understands. The confession quotes from Hebrews 4. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Somehow the Roman church thought Jesus was too great, was too distant, was too fierce. They had a picture of him in their mind that he was too remote, couldn't really understand the struggles. The Bible says he understands our struggles perfectly because he underwent them. Every temptation. You and I must not let the, the glory of Christ, and we should have that glory in view, but don't let that glory obscure the fact that he has tremendous sympathy for our weaknesses. The glorious Christ remains fully human. He remembers his experiences on earth perfectly. He remembers every temptation, every seduction, every battle to remain pure. He felt sin's presence even much more acutely than you and I can since we have a sinful heart. We're kind of immune to the presence of sin so often. His heart was pure. He could spot sin a mile away and it affected him. Imagine that, this sinless heart being surrounded by sinners all the time, yet never falling into sin. Jesus knows the ugliness of sin. He has seen its consequences in countless lives. He's filled with compassion for His people who live under the, the tyranny of sin or the consequences of sin. So you can cry out to Him in all circumstances, beloved. He, he does understand. That sometimes is a difficulty for us, right? We, we've got a problem. We've got a very personal problem maybe. Maybe only a few people know. Maybe only you know. And you really wonder, does Jesus care about that, this problem? Could he possibly understand? Would he be concerned enough about my problem to intercede for me? Brothers and sisters, if the problem you've got is related to sin in any way, shape, or form, then understand that your problem 
is God's problem. The Father sent the Son to deal once and for all with our sin. He started by paying off our debt, delivering us from its punishment. And now He's busy with His Spirit, helping us to overcome its power in our lives. And doesn't every problem we face on earth have to do with sin one way or the other? I mean, it could be that somebody sinned against you, caused you pain and grief. Your high priest wants to hear about that. He's been sinned against quite a lot. He's felt more than just a little pain or grief. Maybe you've experienced injury or physical suffering of some kind. Well, your mediator is concerned and he himself knows about physical suffering. Is sin burdening your conscience? Is it, is it weighing down your soul? Confess your sin to the Lord Jesus in prayer. Your advocate is waiting for you to speak to your Father so that the burden can be lifted from your shoulders. What have you got going on in your life? A broken relationship? Loneliness, feeling like nobody cares, feeling like nobody understands. Jesus has been there, done that. And He stands ready to help anybody who comes looking to Him as Savior. His ear is always open to us. And since His Father's ear is always open to Him, that means we are always, always, always heard by the Father in prayer. It might take time for Him to answer. Like in Psalm 44, you have it in Psalm 88 too. But they did go to the right address, those psalmists. They were heard, and in time they were answered. For the open ear, it means also that God has an open hand toward us. This is God's promise spoken by the Lord Jesus. Ask and you shall receive. Knock and the door shall be opened to you. The Belgic ends Article 26 with such comforting confidence we, we rest assured that we shall obtain all we ask of the Father in His name. Echo Scripture. Ask and you shall receive. Knock and it shall be opened to you. We shall obtain all we ask for in Christ's name. That's pretty confident, isn't it? Not all we ask willy-nilly, you understand. Jesus is not talking about any whim or fancy we might have, but He says all we ask of the Father in Christ's name. That involves asking of the Father what Christ has taught us to ask of Him. Article 25 ended by speaking of ordering our life in all honesty according to God's will and to God's glory. Our prayers have to match that goal. Is the prayer for God's glory? Does it match God's will? We have to turn to Scripture and figure out what God would have us ask for. 
This is our guideline for prayer. What has God promised? What has God commanded? Pray it. Pray it. Whatever we lack in fulfilling God's commands, whatever we need to regulate our life according to God's will, whatever promise we would ask God to have fulfill in our life, ask the Father in the name of the Son and rest assured He will provide it. That's what Jesus is saying. Like things like zeal for service, which the Lord wants us to be. He wants us to be zealous in our love to serve Him. Things like getting a new perspective on our life so that our priorities, we line up our priorities with God's priorities where we give ourselves fully to our God out of love and devotion. Do we actually want that? Then pray for that sincerely and go to work on lining up your priorities and God will send forth His Spirit to make that happen in your life and mine because that is His will. Scripture says, I want you to be zealous for me. I want your priorities to be my priorities. And you can, you can apply this to so many things. It applies also down to any specific sin we might be struggling with, any particular command of the Lord we might have difficulty obeying. Do you have the habit of lying, being deceptive. Jesus is saying, pray to God for forgiveness, for a change, and He will help you be truthful and honest. Do you make bad choices with things like food or sex or alcohol? In the name of Jesus, pray to the Father for mercy and ask for His Spirit to give you wisdom to choose wisely, and you will see the fruit of that. Do you have trouble controlling your anger or your tongue? Is pride holding you hostage on some issue? Maybe you've got hard feelings towards someone which you find hard to let go of. Take these things to the Lord in prayer. Acknowledge your sin. Confess your weakness, your shortcoming in those matters. Ask that your guilt be removed from you in the blood of Jesus, and then ask further that the Spirit of Jesus give you a heart of selfless love, a heart of humility to give you a, a grip on your emotions and a rein on your tongue and a desire to be at peace with your neighbor, and those things will come to light and come to life in you. Sometimes we think, okay, sounds nice. I know my character. I've been this way all my life. Can't be done. Can't change my character. Can't change the way I've been all my life. Brothers and sisters, when we think that way, then we are not thinking enough about Christ. We need to think more about Christ. He is high priest. He's also the high king in heaven who's been given, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth. He has all the power. 
In Ephesians 3, Paul can hardly find the words to describe the amount of power he's got. He says in verse 20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. He can do more abundantly than all we think. You don't think God can break down your sinful character? Let's think again. He can do immeasurably more than we can possibly imagine. So go ahead and ask. Pray. Ask in faith for everything you need to fight the fight of sin, to obey the will of your Father, for everything you need to stand firm in the faith in the sorrows and stresses of a sin-torn life, and you will be amazed at the help that comes. You'll be amazed at the results in your life, at the zeal for the Lord which will grow in you, and the dedicated service which you'll start to render. Because it won't be you, but Christ in you. So, think Christ. He has opened the door to heaven, and He cups His ear toward us and extends the hand of power our way to bless us as we serve Him. Who else loves us like He loves who else saves us like Jesus saves? Who could be more compassionate than Christ our Savior? Go then to Him and let Him take you to the Father. Amen.